0: Exodus chapter number 30 this evening, and I'd like to read (coughs) a few verses out of this chapter. And I want to read a couple verses out of the book of 1 John. And I hope that they'll give a little clarification, a little context to what we're going to be preaching on this evening. Beginning in verse number 22 of the 30th chapter of the book of Exodus, the Bible says, "...Moreover the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, five hundred shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, and of sweet calamus, two hundred and fifty shekels, and of cassia, five hundred shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hen, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be an holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all his vessels, and the candlestick in his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels, and the laver and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people." Now turn with me to the book of First John, chapter number 2. We've read about the oil that God had prescribed for the unction and anointing of the, the tabernacle and of the vessels and of the priests, and you might say, well, preacher, I don't have a thing to do with me today. The tabernacle no longer exists, and we're not under law. We don't observe ceremonial law, and that's very true. Uh, but I want to show you how that might apply to you this evening. In 1 John chapter number 2, now I want you to look with me at verse number 20. John, writing to New Testament believers, says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Now, let's, let's take a moment and, and look at that. I mean, it's, we're not preaching yet, but let's take a moment and look at that. It says, you know all things. Now I don't know about you, friend, but I'm ready to admit that I don't know everything. Aren't you? When you have to admit you don't know everything... But yet it also says we have an unction from the Holy One. Now, that word unction, uh, that is the noun version, if you will, of the verb to anoint or anointing. Uh, That which has been anointed has an unction upon it. Uh, So we're talking about a lot of the same ideas when we speak of the anointing in the Old Testament and the unction in the New Testament. Now, it says that we know all things... But it also says in the Word of God that there's many things that we do not know and that our wisdom is imperfect. How could that be? Well, look down at verse number 26. John says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Now here we have that unction again. The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. So we learn from this passage that what it's speaking about is something that indwells us. Isn't that right? It says it'll abide in you. Something that teaches and guides us. Isn't that right? That's what it says it would teach us. Something that has an absolute perfect knowledge because it says that ye know all things, isn't that right? And something that comes from the Holy One, from God. I'll tell you what we're talking about tonight, church. We're talking about the Holy Ghost when we speak of the unction and of the oil. Let's pray together this evening and we'll get to preaching. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for this opportunity. Oh God, you've just been so good to this preacher and you've given him so much. Such a wonderful church, family, Lord, and congregation. Wonderful, beautiful family, Lord. And Above all this, you've saved him from the pits of hell, redeemed him and justified him and birthed him into your family. Lord, I, my heart's just full tonight with all that you've done for us. God, I would pray tonight that you would take your Word and open it unto us. Lord, we cannot open it unless you open it. We can examine it, but we can't apply it. The Holy Ghost has to apply it to our hearts. So, Father, we ask that You would just uh, pour out a measure this evening of illumination, of truth, God, that You would apply it to our lives, and we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You tonight, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And you can study all through the Word of God, and you'll find that oil is a picture of the Holy Ghost. The psalmist said that we would be anointed with the oil of gladness. You'll find also in the New Testament, uh, time and time again, where it speaks about an unction or an anointing. Now, you say, well, where does that come from? Well, in the Old Testament, when a person was set aside for a specific work, for a specific calling. We talked about that a little bit this morning in the life of David. Uh, The Old Testament prophet would take a horn, usually a ram's horn, filled with oil, would pour it upon his head, and it uh, showed the idea of the outpouring of the power and blessing of God for a specific calling and purpose in life. And God called uh, Moses to uh, use this prescription to uh, have his workers make this anointing oil, and it would be placed upon the tabernacle. upon the ark, upon all the vessels and upon the priests themselves because they were being set aside for a specific cause, for a specific purpose. And do you know God did the same thing to you and me when we got saved? Do you know that you're incapable to be a good Christian? I am too. I mean, in and of ourselves, you know, we can try and try and try, but through uh, sheer determinate willpower, we cannot accomplish uh, becoming Christ-like. It is not an activity of self-will, but it is an activity of the surrendering of the will as we surrender ourselves to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches us uh, that, uh, who, that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll be the uh, children of God. Whosoever is led of the Spirit, the same are the sons of God, the children of God. You and I, friend, the way we become more Christ-like is by surrendering to the leading of the Holy Ghost. That's how it takes place in our lives you say, well, preacher, I don't know how to do that. Well, sure, you know how to do that. Uh, you may not know what it'll look like when it happens. You may not know every detail. You might not know every decision and every turn that you're going to have to make. But you know when the Holy Ghost... If you're born again, you know when the Holy Ghost is speaking to your heart. All you have to do is surrender. And uh, some people will say, well, you know, the the Lord deals with me about big things, but He don't deal with me about small things. Well, I I, I understand what you're saying, but could it be that He's not dealing with us about small things because He's having such a hard time getting us to obey Him in big things? I kind of think that the Lord would would lead us in more and more minute details of our life if we'd follow Him more and more and more. Uh, you know, it's kind of like you see parents sometimes with their kids, and, uh, you know, it's just everything they can do to keep them alive, let alone raise them, amen? Uh, they're just trying to get the big things took care of, and the small things are having to let slide. And that's kind of how it is with me and you and the Holy Ghost. I mean, sometimes God's just trying to get us from making a shipwreck of our lives, let alone leading us in the minute details, but He wants to, He wills to, and He will do it if we'll allow Him to. So in Exodus chapter number 30, I I believe we're being scriptural when we say that we have a picture of the work of the Holy Ghost. It's oil in the New Testament. It's oil in the Old Testament. At least the picture is of oil. And uh, it's correlated with the Holy Spirit. So I believe it will benefit us tonight. Take a few moments and just look at this oil uh, that was made in the Old Testament. Learn some things about the Holy Ghost. Now, I want to say first off a word about the composition of this oil. Now, it's interesting that this oil would not be found anywhere naturally. Have you noticed that? I mean, this is not just the oil from one plant. This is not just spices from one plant. Uh, But this has to be made. It has to be constructed. And you say, well, why is that, preacher? Because it's not of this natural world. There's nothing else like it in existence. Do you know that the Holy Spirit of God, there's no substitution? Uh, There is absolutely no uh, comparison between the Holy Spirit of God and anything else. And let me tell you something. You won't find anything in this world that will do for you what the Holy Ghost will. Not a thing. I mean, this world does everything they can. We kind of joke about it and talk about it when it comes to music. But I believe there's something to be said for this. You can go through gospel songs, and a lot of times you'll find some of the uh, biggest old... uh, And when I say country, I mean country. I I don't mean pop with a twang. Amen? I don't mean I don't mean rock music with a sweet tea. I mean when you go way back and when country music was country music, uh, back there in a time when there wasn't no country, there wasn't no bluegrass, there wasn't no gospel. There's just music back then, and uh, people in this part of the country just played it that way. A- and you'll find as you look through some of those old country songs, if you listen carefully, uh, it won't be long before you'll start hearing some of your gospel favorites in there. And sometimes they took them and rewrote them. I mean, you listen to, I saw the light, and it's hard to not hear, He set me free. You listen, Knoxville girl. Now, I know, I mean, we're from Knoxville. We ought to know Knoxville girl. Nothing wrong with that, amen? Right? Are we right? Nothing wrong with that. You listen to that, you'll hear the lifeboat. I mean, you'll hear it. I mean, it'll go, you know, you've you've heard Knoxville girl before, haven't you? You've heard, I met a little girl in Knoxville, a town we all know well. Listen to lifeboat. We're floating down the stream of time. We have not long to stay. It's the same thing. Reckon Wonder what uh, old uh, Charlie and Ira were trying to do when, when they took that melody. I'll tell you what they were trying to do. They were trying to bottle lightning. Isn't that right? I mean, they would go to these meetings and they would see the uh, children of God, the people of God singing with joy and excitement. They'd say, oh my, we've got to get some of that. There's always been attempts to try to make something like it, but you can't make anything like it. They can't bottle lightning. They can't reproduce the moving of the Spirit of God. It's not of this world. You're not going to find any other oil like this oil. And there's five components. I'm going to give them to you very quickly. Five components that are in this passage that I want you to notice. The first off, the Bible says, is pure myrrh. Now, there's more myrrh in this concoction than there is almost anything else. Myrrh is spoken of. Now, most of us know what myrrh is because uh, we go through the New Testament and we find that when the wise uh, men came to our Lord and Savior, they brought three g- gifts. They brought frankincense, uh, which is an incense which would have been used to have been burned on the altar of incense. In fact, if you read on in the chapter, you'll see that. And then they used gold and gave it to our Lord and Savior. And that spoke of His uh, royal position as king. But then they used myrrh Now, what was myrrh? Myrrh was an embalming spice. It was used at that time when we say embalming. Many times back in that day, they did not actually embalm. But what they would do is they would take and they would wrap the body in spices and in linen cloths. And they would take myrrh and they would spread it upon it. Myrrh, and I I kind of thought this was interesting, Brother Charlie. Myrrh comes from a low, ragged, desert bush. What a representation of death. It's an embalming spice. And can I say that this represents in the life of the believer the mortification of the Spirit of God? You say, preacher, what do you mean mortification of the Spirit of God? Are you saying that the Spirit is going to die? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the effect that the Spirit of God has in your life and mind. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Romans chapter number 8. We'll read just one verse there. But I believe it gives us a clear picture. You know, the world has things backwards. The world teaches that if you want to have a good life, you've got to really live life. But do you know that's not what the Word of God teaches? The Word of God teaches if you want to have a good life, you don't get a good life by living life. You get a good life by dying to self. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse number uh, 13. The Bible says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit... That's that oil... Through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Ye shall live. Now you say, preacher, what does that mean? Uh, To mortify means to put to death. I kind of believe God's telling us when He is uh, making the recipe for this uh, oil that would be anointed is that before you know anything of the joy of the Holy Ghost, you've got to die to self. Do you know that's how it takes place? Now, I'm not talking about uh, trying to earn our salvation. I'm talking about Christ died in our place. We were already dead. We don't We don't have to die in our sins. We were already dead in our sins. Christ died in our place. He died that He might give us life. And now we've been given a new life in Jesus Christ. But the problem is, we, in a sense, we have two lives. Because we have the old life and we have the new life. We have the old man, we have the new man. And God wants to work with the new man. He doesn't want to work with the old man. Because the old man is an enemy of God. He's contrary to God. He doesn't want to obey God. And so you know what we have to do? Uh, Paul said this. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I die daily. I've learned to die to self. And let me tell you something. Don't think that it's always going to be easy following the Holy Ghost. Let me say it again. I think we need to get that a little bit better. Don't think it's always going to be easy to follow the Holy Ghost. In fact, most times you'll find when the Holy Ghost tugs on your heart and says, I want you to do this, that it's going to be a great battle to be obedient to Him. Your flesh will begin to kick and to scream and to whoop and to holler and to say, I want none of that. I'm not interested in it. You say, what do you have to do? You have to take out that Holy Ghost gun and put him down. Amen? Right? You have to take out the the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and you've got to lay him low and say, you do not run me. Anymore. We see that mortification is spoken of. But then there's a second spice that's mentioned. And I want you to notice it. Look back in our text. Uh, it says of pure myrrh. Look at it in verse number 23. Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels. Notice the second one. And of sweet cinnamon, half so much. Now something about the contrast there. I mean, the first spice is a spice for death. But, you know, the second spice, man, I don't know about you, but a dead man, dead man, there ain't a whole lot that he can do, right? I mean, he can lay there, he can dress him up, he can put a suit on him, he can look kind of nice, amen? I mean, a dead man's not going to do anything, he's just going to lay there until he's put in the ground. That dead man can do absolutely nothing. And a dead man, listen, a dead man might be able to adorn myrrh, but a dead man can't taste sweet cinnamon. You see, that's the paradox of what we have before us. We go down in death, but we raise up in life, resurrected, raised to walk in newness of life. And I would say that the second thing it's spoken of when it speaks about this sweet cinnamon is satisfaction. The first thing is mortification. The second is satisfaction. I'm told, and you know how it is, you read these commentators, you have to take their word for it, but it sounded like it, you know, I had to ring a truth to it, so I'll go ahead and share it with you. They tell me that this sweet cinnamon would be taken from the inner bark of the cinnamon tree. And I believe this kind of speaks of the inward satisfaction we have through the Holy Spirit. Can I say that you will not be outwardly satisfied till you're inwardly satisfied? And part of the problem in this world is everybody's trying to do things backwards. You see, religion is man's attempt to scrub his heart from the outside in when God's design is to clean his outside from his heart outward. And we have a tendency to think, well, if I fix my circumstances, I'll have joy. Let me tell you something. If you don't know the Son of God and have the Spirit of God indwelling in you, there's nothing you can do to know joy. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you can try anything, you can try everything, but there's nothing that you can do to have joy if you don't know God. And it begins with the mortification, but the next step is you get that satisfaction. Look what it says in John chapter 4. John chapter number 4 with me, if you want to turn there. If you don't, I'm... Don't guess I can make you. (laughs) Amen. But John chapter number 4. Christ is speaking to the woman at the well. This woman is an adulterer. She is a fornicator. She is a woman. She has a wrecked home. Uh, The home that she's in is not really a home yet. She is a broken and bruised and betrayed woman. And she's been abandoned. And here she goes out to the well this day, and she's going to draw a well, uh, water from the well. She's a Samaritan, which means that in the Jew's eyes, she is a half-breed. She is half-Gentile uh, and half-Jew, uh, which in the Jew's mind was worse than a Gentile. They looked at her like a dog. And whenever she comes to the well... Uh, she finds that Jesus is there. Jesus initiates a conversation with, him, uh, with her and begins to speak to her about drawing water. Look with me there at uh, verse number 9. The Bible, well, we'll start at verse 6. It says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Could I pause there and say, you know, that's exactly a picture of the law bringing us unto Christ being our schoolmaster. God asked some things of us He knows we can't satisfy. God set down a holy law in the Old Testament and said, This is what I expect of you. Not because He thought He'd get it, but to show us that we couldn't give it. And He looks at this woman and says, Give me to drink. For His disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, Who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Let me pause there and say that in John chapter number 7, we're told what this living water is. Christ is standing at one of the feast days uh, there in the temple, and he cries and says, Everyone that thirsteth, come unto me and drink, I'll give you of living waters. And John said, This spake ye of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. So the living waters are a picture of the Holy Ghost the same way the oil is. And He says, I would give you the Holy Spirit. The woman saith unto Him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the satisfaction that the Spirit of God gives. I mean, we was just, and you may have heard the old song, I, I asked for a drink and he gave me the well. <laughs> I just come to God just looking for a little satisfaction. And he put a well within me that gives me satisfaction from day to day to day. And I'm here to tell you right now that if you're walking in the Spirit of God, he'll always be enough. He'll always be enough. If you're walking with God, the Holy Spirit will always be enough. You say, well, He just doesn't seem like He's enough in my life. Could be because you're not walking with God. You see, when we get out in the world and start lusting after things of the world, all of a sudden, uh, the, our Lord and Savior sometimes loses that shine about Him. And it's not that He's lost His shine, it's that we've left our first love. And we don't understand what happened. And we say, I can't figure it out. I'm not satisfied. I don't know what to do. Take a trip back to the living water where you first found satisfaction. Find out where you stepped out of line with the Savior. Go, go to the living waters. Go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked or unclean way within me. We need to go to the Lord and we need to say, Lord, I believe the Holy Ghost and He's do some inventory in my life. We see satisfaction spoken of. You drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. But there's a third uh, spice that is spoken of back in our text in Exodus chapter number 30. Here, eventually, I'm going to quit making you turn the page that much, but for right now, we're going to keep doing it. Uh, Look with me uh, what it says in verse number 23. Now, it says myrrh, and this is a picture of mortification. It speaks of sweet cinnamon, and this speaks of satisfaction. Uh, But now look at the third one. It's a spice you're probably not familiar with. It says, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. Now, I don't know about you, it may be more common than I'm aware of, but I know when I read that, I had to learn a little bit more about it. I mean, you tell me what cinnamon is, I know what cinnamon is, amen, right? I I, I mean, it's like if you used to tell me what butter is. I don't have to go to a dictionary and find out what butter is. I'm well acquainted with butter, amen? And I knew what cinnamon was. But I read this calamus and I I said, well, I'm going to have to ask some of these old uh, men of God that that have written down some truths. And I got to reading about it. You know what I found out? It is common in that part of the country. And it is almost identical with the common cane plant. A cane. Most of us have seen what a cane looks like. Some of us are starting to get real familiar with what canes look like. But we know what a cane is. And a cane would have been used for a lot of things. It would have been used for support, uh, as a walking stick. But i tell you what I thought about when I thought about a cane. I thought about that shepherd's crook. And the psalmist spoke of this when uh, he said, uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, uh, for thou art with me, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, the cane is a picture, listen now, the cane is a picture of correction in our life. Some of you were raised right. And you know what a switch is. And it's not what's sticking on the wall that operates the lights. Amen? Some of you know what a switch is. Some of you had parents that was so, oh, they're so mean and they hated you so bad uh, that they even made you go cut your own switch. You're the better for it, too, I'd say. And they made you go cut your own switch. I know about one fell. I can't remember who it was telling me about this, uh, but parents said, I want you to go cut a switch. And he come back in with a fern branch. <laughs> Daddy cut the switch the second time, amen? But uh, I, I think about correction when I think about this calamus plant. And do you know that part of the uh, work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to correct us, to admonish us, to convict us in our life? Uh, we need that. I know we don't like to admit it, but we all need it. Could I be honest with you and say, sometimes in my spiritual walk, there's times I think I'm right when I'm not. You may be like that. Maybe not. Or you may be like that and not realize it. Uh, Fact is, we all have times in our life when we think we're right but we're wrong. You say, how does God address that? Well, God addresses it in a twofold way. One, He's given us His Word. His Word is perfect. It's infallible. It's inerrant. There's no mistakes in it. It's absolutely what it ought to be. And God has dealt with everything in His Word in one of two ways. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. It'll help you. Every single issue is dealt with in the Word of God in one of two ways, Brother Ralph, either in particular. Now, listen to me now. You say, preacher, is it wrong to drink alcohol? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You say, that's me. That's God. That's what God says. That's not me. That's what God says. And you say, oh, well, the Bible says take a little wine for your stomach. Oh, I know, I know what it says. Uh, And by the way, you do that when you take a little NyQuil too. But it's not saying to get drunk, and it's not saying to socially drink. And by the way, uh, anymore, you don't have to sweat it out with a snort of whiskey. You can go down to the pharmacy and get something that ain't going to leave you loopy. Amen? Isn't that right? fact is, the Bible condemns drinking socially, recreationally, obsessively. The Bible condemns drinking in every way, shape, fashion, and form. And you say, well, you know, the the Lord, He turned the water into wine. Yeah, I know He did. How many types of wine are there? There's two types in the Bible. There's old wine and there's new wine. The Bible speaks of both types. You say, what's the difference? Well, if you know anything about the fermentation process, you know that for wine to be fermented, it has to be old wine. Isn't that right? That's what happens. I mean, you take that rock gut mess, you stick it in a bathtub, you stick it in a closet somewhere, and you let it rot till the maggots wouldn't touch it, and you strain it off and drink it. That's old wine. How long you reckon that wine had been around when they drank it after Jesus made it? That wasn't old wine. That was new wine. And the word wine means the blood of the vine, the fruit of the vine, and all that was was grape juice. You say, "Well, I don't like that. well, maybe you don't like it because of something in your life, not because the Bible is wrong, amen. amen, And so uh that I don't even know where we're at anymore, amen. It don't matter. It don't matter we're where we need to be. uh The Bible deals with everything, either in particular, particular, but now there's other things you know the Bible doesn't deal with drugs, brother Al. Nowhere, I know there's some people speak of the sorcery in the Old Testament uh, that it had the connotations of uh, uh, of uh, medicinal things. That very well may be true, but I mean we'd have to be honest when we would say that the Bible does not deal with recreational drug use in particular. You won't find anywhere where Thou shall not get high. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. But it deals with everything either in particular, listen now, or in principle, one of the two ways. Everything in life is dealt with through the Word of God, either in particular or in principle wonder why it is God doesn't want us drinking. Well, the book of Proverbs speaks about those that have uh, trouble, those that have bruises without having been in fights, those that have troubles and can't remember it, those that have the red eyes and the headaches, those that wake up and they're hung over and their homes are broken, and they don't know why. I'll tell you why God's against alcohol. It's not because He's a picky God. It's not because He's unfair. It's because He knows it'll wreck you if you play with it. That's why He's against it. And the same is true of recreational drug use. Isn't that right? The same is true. Adam. God deals with everything, either in particular or in principle. So He's given us His Word. But there's times as we read the Word of God, when we think to ourselves, I don't know how this applies. Lord, I truly don't understand what I need to do. And so He's given us a second asset, a second resource, and that is this unction that is spoken about in the book of First John chapter number 2, that knows all things. It's not saying that you know all things. It's saying you've got somebody in you that knows all things. It's not saying that you can immediately call to memory every single thing uh, that you'd ever need to know. Hey, some of us could say amen right there. We know that that's not true. But what it's saying is that God has given you someone that can lead you and guide you and teach you when it says you have no need that any man teach you. It's not saying it's wrong to teach. It's not saying it's wrong to read books or it's wrong uh, to sit in a class. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount that everybody talks about, it was not a sermon. Our Lord set them down and taught them. It's not that teaching's a bad thing. But what it's saying is this, that through the application of the Word of God and the careful study of it, we have everything we need to understand what God asks of our life. We have everything we need. And the Holy Ghost of God is given to us for correction to show us. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says, "Uh, no chastisement for the present time seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of Righteousness. We think about the chastisement of God. Listen, we think about the chastisement of God in the sense of God's public judgment upon our life. I believe God publicly judges people. I believe some people get out of the will of God and you can see it like a wrecking ball through their life. But do you know that it never starts there? It begins, it starts with the conviction and the chastisement of the Holy Ghost in their hearts and in their lives when the Lord makes them aware that they've stepped out of line with Him. So we see correction in this passage, speak, uh, spoken of this calamus. I want to give you a third one. I don't know what we'll get to preach on tonight, amen? Uh, but look what it says in verse 24. It gives us another one that I had to read, I had to study to understand this. It says, and of Cassia, five hundred shekels. Now, this is interesting to me. I want you to notice the, the amounts that are given in them. It, the first one is myrrh, it says five hundred shekels. Uh, The second one is cinnamon, 250 shekels. The third one is calamus, 250 shekels. But then here we get back to cassia, and cassia is back up to 500 shekels. Isn't that interesting? So that tells me that there is an overpouring, an overmeasure of the first thing, myrrh, and this fourth spice, cassia. Now you say, what is cassia? Well, they tell us, listen now, that cassia is a member... Of the same species that the cinnamon tree is from. It's a sweet spice, a lot like the cinnamon. But you know what the difference is? Listen carefully. The cinnamon is taken from the inner bark. But Cassia, it's taken from the outer bark. You say, preacher, what are you driving at? I'm saying that cinnamon pictures for us are satisfaction. But listen, that Cassia pictures for us are jubilation. Do you know that we ought to be joyful people in the Holy Ghost? Do you know that if you have the oil of gladness... I have heard people try for years and years and years to explain away the fact that we can have joy in the Holy Ghost. I mean, I have heard people try to explain away for years and years and years and say, well, I'm just not that way. Well, you got the same Holy Ghost in you i got in me. Well, you know, my personality. Well, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Amen. Now, I know everybody's different. I'm not saying everybody's going to be the same. I'm not trying to get you to shout like I do or me shout like you do. I'm not saying that we're all going to be identical in our attitudes and our approaches and in our expression of what the Lord's doing in our heart and life. That's not what I'm saying now. But I'm saying this, that there is a joy, unspeakable, full of glory that's in the heart and in the life of the believer when he's walking with God. You may not sound like somebody else sounds. You may not do it exactly like somebody else does it. But you'll be joyful just like every believer is when you're walking with God. And I've heard people try to explain it away a thousand times. Oh, you know, I don't know, preacher. I'm not part of that crowd. I'm not. Let me tell you something. When I got to be part of that crowd, I didn't want to be part of any other crowd. Amen? When I got to be part of that crowd that wasn't afraid to shout, that wasn't afraid to rejoice, that wasn't afraid of the moving of the Holy Spirit, I didn't want any more of that dead crowd. I was done with that. I'm not interested in that. I may be a young man, but my days are numbered just like yours. I don't want to waste them being miserable in my salvation. Look what it says. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. It's a short verse. But I want to read it to you in Isaiah chapter number 12. Now, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, the Holy Ghost was around in the Old Testament. He may not indwelt believers, uh, and he may have not functioned in exactly the same way, but he was still around. He's still part of the Godhead, and the living waters were still the living waters, and the well was still the well. And listen to what Isaiah says in chapter number 12. In fact, we'll read, uh, it's only three verses, we'll read uh, up and beyond it. It says, "...and in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thy anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me." Now, glory to God right there. That's a testimony, friend. He says, you were angry with me, Lord, but now you're not angry with me. You've turned away from me, but now you comfort me. Something's changed in my life. Hey, something's happened to me, and it's all different now. Something has changed. He says, because of that, I'm going to praise you. If you know Christ is your Savior, that's what's happened to you. Now listen, now, I was a ten-year-old boy, I'm first to admit to you. I mean, I was not strung out on dope. I was not selling drugs. But I was going to the same devil's hell as the dope addict was. And though the pathway I was on may, may have not moved that many places over, the destination I was headed to infinitely changed. And so the, the writer in Isaiah says, I'm going to praise you because of that. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Now listen to verse 3. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. You say, what's that well, preacher? Well, that's that same well that, that Jesus was talking about in the book of John. That's that same well that He spoke about to that broken and bruised and abandoned and barren Samaritan woman when He said, you drink the water that I'm going to give you, you're going to have a well of water springing up in you. That's the Holy Ghost that's being talked about in this passage. That's what that well of salvation is. And it says that we're going to with joy draw water out of the wells of salvation. Boy, I tell you, there's just nothing like walking with the Holy Spirit. Now, now, listen. Don't mark me about what I'm about to say, because I'm gonna be clear with what I, I say. Has the Holy Ghost ever got you tickled about something? Now, I'm not talking about holy laughter. Listen carefully. I'm not talking about what you see these uh, these fools get on the TV and laughing uncontrollably over nothing and claiming that that is a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. You know what you think when you see those? You be honest now, because I think the same thing. When I look at them, I think, they're nuts. Isn't that what you think? Now, wait a minute now. I'm not just being ugly. If I think that, what do you think lost people think? Why do you think it was? Paul said it very clearly uh, uh, back during a time when tongues was a part of the New Testament church. And by the way, that was not gibberish. That was not gibberish. Two words are used in the Bible for tongues. Both of them, both of them are known languages. And so what about Pentecost? Yeah, Pentecost. Sixteen different languages are named in Acts chapter number 2. All of them real languages that were extant in this world at that time. Never was there a time when gibberish was what God was giving people. You say, well, it says an unknown tongue. I know that. I've heard some people say, well, that's italicized. Well, it's still in the Bible. Amen? It's still in the Bible that it says an unknown tongue. Why don't you take every italicized word out, if you're going to take one out, dismiss them all away, you'll find yourself in a theological mess. Those things were given uh, to clarify what was being said there as it would transition from one language to another because a lot of times you'd have a Hebrew word or a Greek word that would not convey exactly what we were expecting it to, exactly over to English what we were uh, looking for, uh, the truth of it. And so, yeah, they put those italicized words in, but either you believe that God preserved the Bible or you don't. Either you believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, don't go cutting out the italicized words. And some people say, well, you know, that word unknown is italicized. That ain't my problem. My my problem is not that it says uh, it's italicized in the unknown, because I've got no problem with the word unknown. You know why that is? Because there's a lot of things that are unknown to this preacher. Amen? Treadmill's unknown to this preacher. Somebody say amen. Inside of a gym is unknown to this preacher. I, I mean, tofu is unknown. thank God that tofu is unknown to this preacher. I don't know anything about it. There's a lot of things that are unknown. There's a lot of languages. People say, how many languages do you speak? About half of one. Amen. That's it. I mean, I, I speak, no, I speak two. I, I kind of speak American. That's my second language. My first is Appalachian American. You know, that hillbilly. I, that's, that's what I speak. Now, somebody was supposed to, if they were, came in here and they were speaking in Spanish, listen now, if they were speaking in Spanish, that's an unknown tongue to me. Other people might understand that tongue, but that's unknown to me. You say, well, now, preach that's not biblical. Well, that's what it was in the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter number 2, it says that they speak, but behold, we all hear in our own tongue. We all hear in our own tongue. In other words, when Peter stood up preaching on the day of Pentecost as he was preaching, how it probably came out uh, Hebrew as he was uh, preaching. He may have been speaking in Greek. If he was apostle to the Jews, I'd say he was speaking in Hebrew. But all of those 16 different countries that were represented, those citizens were sitting there. They could see his lips moving, but it didn't match up with what we hear. Hey, uh, Kung Fu movies has been around a lot longer than you think. Amen? They were all hearing in their own language. These are known tongues. And they've always been known tongues to someone, but unknown to others. That's why Paul said, I speak with tongues more than ye all. We know, listen now, we know that Paul spoke Hebrew. We know he spoke Greek. We know he spoke Italian. There's a good chance he may have uh, spoken many other languages as well, because he was a brilliant and scholarly man. You know what Paul says? Paul says, I get up there and show off if I want to. Says, but I'd rather speak a one word just a few words in a tongue that'll exhort and help other people than I would get up and make a show in the flesh speaking a thousand words that nobody can understand. And that's why he says to them he says if you're going to speak in tongues do it uh, do it by by two or three and then by course that's what it says. In other words don't get everybody up talking at the same time because it's confusing. And he said, "Oh, I know we don't like it. I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but it says uh, that women were not speaking in tongues. Now, listen now. If you took if you took the women out of the tongues movement, it would die. Isn't that right?" If you took the women out of the tongues movement, it would die. The vast majority of them that are speaking in tongues. What I'm saying is this. What goes on in those places is not scriptural. That's what I'm saying. Now, get mad at me if you want to. Think I'm being ugly if you want to, but I'm being biblical tonight. It's not scriptural. The the day that we can't call something unscriptural unscriptural, we ought to padlock the doors and hang it up and quit calling ourselves Christians. It's unscriptural. And it's always been unscriptural when it was done in that manner. You get 200 people in one room, probably 80% of women, and all trying to speak in tongues at the same time. Paul would not even if that was the way that it was done back in that time, even if it had been gibberish, Paul would have sat them people down because he said it ought not be done in this order or in this way. Now, I said that to say this. As Paul's speaking, the reason he says that there has to be an interpreter Is because he says, if one comes among you that doesn't know God and they hear you speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. That's why I say, when you see that on the TV and you say, reckon that's of God, that holy laughter? I say, no, it's not for two reasons. One, there's no biblical precedent for it. And then two, because even if there was, uh, if speaking in tongues was forbid, when it could cause people to have a bad testimony concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you better believe uh, that this holy laughter mess would be the same way. Now, listen, I know, I mean, I've chased that rabbit, but I finally caught it, so bear with me. The reason I said that is because I want to be clear. I'm not talking about holy laughter. But I'm talking about there's been times I've been riding down the truck, uh, in, in the truck on the way down the road. And I know that the Holy Ghost is in me. I know He can't get in my truck. But there's times it felt like He sat down right beside me and began to speak to me and to my heart. And I don't mean audibly because I've not heard Him audibly. You've not heard Him audibly. But I mean He begins to press on my heart and speak things and encourage me. And there's been times when God's just blessed me and I just had to laugh over how good that God was being in my life. That's joy. That's a joy that the world don't know anything about. Joy, uh, the world has to get their joy out of a bottle, uh, out of a a pipe. Uh, They have to try to get their joy off of some drug. But the believer doesn't have to get it from those sources. The believer can get it straight from the Holy Ghost of God, from this jubilation. I'm going to give you one more. I had a lot more sermon, but I'm just going... I I ain't going to give you the whole bale tonight, amen. (laughs) You'd probably bust. But I want to give you one final one. There is another uh, spice that's... Mention And it says oil, olive oil, olive oil. Now, you say, what does that speak of? Well, I want to tell you very quickly. Turn back chapter 27 of the book of Exodus. Chapter 27 of the book of Exodus. Olive oil was a common thing uh, in the ceremonial worship of the nation of Israel. They used olive oil regularly. In fact, they probably used olive oil more than any other element other than blood. Olive oil was probably used more than anything else. And I want you to look in chapter 27. Look down at verse number 20. It's speaking about the lamp, the candlestick that was used in the tabernacle. And listen to what it says about the oil that was to be used. Verse 20, it says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive, beaten for." The light to cause the lamp to burn always. There would have been times when when the, the, the tabernacle would have, at night, it would have seemed like a dismal place. There wouldn't have been much going on. There wouldn't have been sacrifices being given. There wouldn't have been people bustling around. But no matter what time, day or night, if you used to walk up to that little candlestick, you would have found it to be burning. It was always burning. It was a perpetual statute. And what they would use for this candlestick was olive oil, pure and beaten. Boy, that's a message in and of itself. I'm not going to preach it, but that's... Hey, sometimes when you feel like you're being beat up on, why don't you stop and think, could it be that I'm being beaten for the light? Could it be that I'm being crushed because of what comes from it? Could it be I'm being broken like that little boy's meal when he brought it to our Lord and Savior? We look at ourselves and we say, that's my only lunch. But the Lord says, oh, but there's 5,000 plus that don't have anything to eat. Just let me break you a little while and you'll never be broken completely. He took that, that meal and he just broke it and broke it and broke it. And, and sometimes we feel like we're just getting broken and broken, and broken, and broken. And (laughs) if we just lift our heads and look around, we'd see uh, hungry mouths being filled by the encouragement and testimony of our life as they watch what God's doing in us. That's another message. But I I, I just want to say to you that the oil, the olive oil, pictures for us illumination. We see mortification, we see satisfaction, we see correction, we see jubilation, and finally, we see illumination. It was given so that you might see a little better. We've already read it in the book of 1 John, but do you know that one of the responsibilities and uh, one of the offices of the Holy Spirit in our life is to illuminate to us the truth of the Word of God? Uh, You know, I firmly believe this. Now, you can disagree if you want. That's fine. Uh, We have soul liberty around here, amen. You can disagree with me if you want. But I don't believe a man can understand anything about the Word of God except the Holy Ghost show it to him. That's my belief. You don't have to believe that, but that's what I believe. And i 'm not saying that God is going to open heaven and there's going to be a, a, a mighty rushing wind and i 'm not saying it's going to be some kind of I don't, I'm not saying trumpets are going to sound or that the clouds are going to part, but i 'm saying if you understand anything, truly understand it about the Word of God to where it affects your life it 's because the Holy Ghost showed it to you. He made it real Now you can listen, you can examine it, but you can 't understand it without the Holy Spirit. I, I mean you can, you can uh, approach it but you can't apply it without the Holy Spirit. And one of his jobs is to make known and to make real to us these truths in the Word of God. You know, I'm afraid sometimes, and listen, I don't understand, I understand very little about the Word of God. I'm being honest with you right now. I'm not being self-deprecating. I'm not being falsely humble. I'm being serious when I say, I understand very, very little of the Word of God. But I do understand some of it. And it kind of worries me sometimes people say, well, I don't ever read the Bible because I don't ever understand it. That kind of worries me sometimes. I'm not saying it worries me they're not saved. I'm not not making any judgments one way or the other. I'm just saying that worries me. Because if we have a close communion with the Holy Spirit of God, not only is He going to encourage us to read the Bible, but He's going to unfold the Bible to us. He's going to make it real to us. I mean, he's going to apply. You ever dealt with... If you've had teenagers, you have. You ever dealt with somebody uh, that was just... I mean, you you could have swore they had six inches of concrete behind that skin on their forehead. Just hard-headed. Couldn't get anything to them. Do you know that's what it's like when the lost man tries to read the Word of God? He doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand it. I'll close with this. And I've been speaking about him a lot lately. And I'm beyond... And he may... I don't know. He may get on our website. He may listen to... To these messages, and that's fine if he does. I've not said anything ugly. He knows I love him, but I've been dealing with this young man here lately. I say young; he's older than me. And talking to him about the Word of God, and trying to help him, and trying to show him. And he and he grew up in in a Christian school. He grew up in a Bible environment. And now he has a hatred for the things of God. I'm not, I'm not just saying that he doesn't accept the things of God. I mean, he sees it as his personal uh, mission to try to dispel and, and, and discourage Bible Christianity. He sees that as his mantra, as his calling in life. And, and I, you know, I've been trying to deal with him. But I'll be honest, I became aware very quickly that as I was trying to deal with this young man, I'd try to show him truth, there would be times, listen, there would be times when I could stump him but there were not times when I could change him. We spend a lot of time arguing with people. Mostly it's about silly things, but occasionally we're spiritual enough to argue about the Bible. But we spend a lot of times arguing with people. And I'm going to be honest, I think healthy debate is good. I think it's a good thing. I think we ought to be ready at all times to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. I think we ought to be intelligent people. I think we ought to know our Bible, and I think we ought to be willing to discuss it with people. But be careful about trying to have a spiritual conversation or a theological conversation with somebody that's spiritually dead. They don't understand what you're saying. You can talk to your blue in the face. They don't understand. You say, preacher, what do I say to him? Here's what you say to him. Listen, I know you don't feel like anyone understands you. But there's the Son of God that died for your sins, that loved you enough. I know you feel like no one loves you, but there's someone that loves you. I know you feel like nobody can help you, but there's someone that can help you. And I'm not going to sit here and argue with you, but can I just tell you what He did for me? When I was lost and astray and undone, when I as a sheep had gone astray and went my own way, He came and He sought me and He found me and He'll do it for you. That's what we tell him. I'm not opposed to discussing. If people got questions, by all means, try to answer the questions. But don't get drawn into a theological conversation with a spiritually dead person. You'd make better time trying to go down to the funeral home and talk to a person that's laying in a casket. They can't understand any of it. They have no comprehension of it because the Spirit of God has to illuminate things to us. You know what the psalmist prayed? The psalmist prayed and he said, Lord, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things. Out of thy law. Now that that ought to speak to you and I, that the psalmist—I'm talking about a man. We're talking about David now, the sweet psalmist of Israel, that wrote with a pen of inspiration that the Holy Ghost moved upon to pin down the truths of the mind and heart of God for us in, in about half of the Book of Psalms that David had pinned down. That same man prayed and he said, "Lord." I need you to open mine eyes so that I can understand this. You may be stuck. You may be discouraged. Or listen, you may have closed your Bible and given up. You've not given up on church because you're here tonight. You've not given up on your church family because, I mean, I didn't see nobody in a fist fight before we started. You may have not given up on prayer. But somewhere along the way, you said, I just can't understand this book. And you set it down and you said, I'm done. I'm done. Can I encourage you to wipe the dust off of it? Pick it up. Read it. You say, I don't understand it. Well, just keep reading it. Pray and ask God to open it. Submit your heart to it. I'll tell you why a lot of us can't understand anything out of the Word of God because we're looking for how it's going to hit everybody else when we ought to be looking for how it can hit me. Open that book and begin to pray. If you're walking with God, and if you're surrendered and submitted to the Holy Spirit, you'd be amazed how He can open your eyes that you may behold wondrous things out of His law.